immunologist and allergist practicing in Toronto, Ontario. Today I have one of my respirology colleagues and uh, who's, we're going to talk together about asthma, common misconceptions and what we should know. So before we begin, uh, Neil, why don't you tell us about, a bit about yourself? Sure, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a, a community respirologist in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Um, I actually uh, ended up practicing in respirology in a bit of a circuitous sort of way. I um, initially started my training as a general internist and worked actually as a community general internist for a couple of years in, in southern Ontario and in northern Ontario, more rural communities like Sault Ste. Marie. And after about two years, I uh, decided to go back into training and uh, pursued uh, respirology where I did that at the University of Saskatchewan. So I spent a couple of years out in Western Canada at the prairies. Uh, and uh, then when I was done, I uh, my, found my way back to Ontario uh, in Niagara Falls where uh, I'm a staff respirologist uh, at St. Catherine General Hospital. And I have my community practice in Niagara Falls. So it's been a, it's been a f fun ride. Yeah, you were you actually originally grew up in Scarborough, right? Uh, from what that's I right. understand. That's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but, that's right. Uh, but you, you kind of like uh, did the whole rural route uh, for after a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did Quite that. I actually, uh, yeah, no, and actually, it was, um, you know, growing up in Scarborough, um, you know, I was in the suburb of the largest city in Canada, so my rural exposure growing up wasn't very, wasn't very high to begin with. So when I initially started my medical school and, 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 and uh, residency in Ottawa, the university of Ottawa, you know, I got glimpses into that. I had opportunities where I was able to go up to Timmins, for example, as a medical student. So I did, and I loved it. I thought uh, the medicine was great. The, uh, the uh, physicians that were working under fairly uh, lean circumstances in terms of resources were outstanding. And it just kind of, took off from there. So I wanted more of it. And so I ended up pursuing it more in my training. And then as a staff person, I, I did a fair amount. So I was, I was really, really grateful for being able to do it. Cool. Um, so like, I'm sure, you know, in your general practice and respirology, uh, both in patient as a hospital uh, physician, as well as a community-based physician, you probably see a ton of asthma patients. Um, and, you know, like myself, I see a ton of asthma patients too. Uh, what do you think are like some of the top five like misconceptions that people have about asthma? Um, one, I mean, I'm sure you have a uh, probably a list that's probably greater than five. Uh, you know, there's a lot that I that I, I noticed both in my inpatient and outpatient practice. I think one of the things that um, I do see a lot of is the notion that asthma really isn't that serious of a disease. I see that a lot in patients, um, particularly when their symptoms are well controlled. Um, many people think that, well, it's not that serious. I, I may have a cough, uh, depending on uh, the severity of the symptoms. But the reality is quite different. I mean, you know, uh, I unfortunately see very severe inpatient asthma exacerbations where patients are intubated uh, on life support on, on uh, ventilation and um, so people die from this disease and so uh, that really for some reason uh, doesn't get across to uh, the general public as as much as it should so I, I definitely think that's one of them um, the other misconception um, that I see a lot of uh, is that people think that have their asthma when they're young, that they'll quote unquote grow out of it. 
Um, you know, there, yes, there are some people that do remit their, their asthma does go into remission, but there are relapses later on in life. Um, and so it's not necessarily true that, you know, if you've, if you've quote unquote grown out of your asthma, that it's gone forever. Um, so there are, uh, you know, some people do remit and on average, the numbers vary, but they are certainly in the minority camp. Most people, um, do have some symptoms that, per, that persist throughout their life at, at, at varying degrees. And it may evolve over time to, to becoming quite quiescent or unfortunately some, it gets worse. Um, Another misconception, um, or I think one thing that's probably really important to highlight, you know, the expression cash is king. I think in asthma, you know, education is king, you know, and, and it's, it's one of the diseases where patients can really empower themselves to take control. And, and part of that is, you know, recognizing um, for patients recognize, okay, well, what are my triggers for asthma? What sets my asthma off? What are my symptoms for asthma? Because not everyone presents in the same way. Um, and I think once, patients really take ownership of their asthma. Um, they can really, um, you know, be their own um, advocate and, and, and manager of their asthma. You know? And so that's one of the really um, humbling things I see when I, when I have, you know, very adherent patients to their therapies and, and their asthma is well controlled and, and they're on top of it. So um, those are a couple. I mean... Um, yeah, and maybe we can touch on, expand on the, the last one. Uh, sure. You know, you mentioned that people do present differently, and there is sort of a lack of awareness of, uh, you know, the disease itself, even though it's so common, one in five of us have it. And there's a lack of awareness of some of the consequences of under-treating or not treating asthma, or so we call it not controlling asthma. Uh, you know, one of the things that people are not aware of is the lung function decline if asthma is uncontrolled. Uh, you know, the rate is uh, much faster than that of a normal lung. And, uh, you know, and, and one exacerbation or two exacerbations a year will really decline your lung function. And it's something that people don't perceive month to month, maybe not even year to year, but o over a lifetime, over a decade or more, uh, these sort of, you know, f faster declines in lung function do add up over time. And uh, I think that's some of the challenges that I have. Uh, you know, we all know that adherence and compliance to medications that are used to control asthma is very poor. It's like 40%, 50% at best after right. after an entire yeah, year. Right. So people don't like taking their medications. And I, and I hear them. Nobody likes taking medications. Uh, you, you know, I, I myself take some medications uh, to control uh, certain other medical conditions that I have. And, and you know, it, it's a struggle to try to remember. But you do have to take responsibility for this at some point. And then the other thing is uh, the differential symptoms that people don't quite clue in. So, you know, as an allergist, I often see uh, things like, am I allergic to uh, cold drinks or uh, am I allergic to uh, perfumes or scents? They seem to really uh, cause me to be short of breath. But those are all real, really symptoms of triggers of respiratory irritants or triggers of asthma, including even laughter or, uh, you know, being emotionally upset or stressed. These all things trigger you only if you really have asthma, um, you know, uh, Cold drinks is a is a classic one where people cough and they don't really quite understand why, or uh, you know they'll have a glass of wine with sulfites in it, and that will trigger their asthma. And you know really really you can be triggered if you have the asthma and if the asthma is uncontrolled. So that's some of the challenges that I see. Uh, people are you know sort of quick to dismiss the symptom or 
blame it on something else like an allergy when really it's just a symptom of uncontrolled asthma. Yeah, absolutely. And even something, um, I mean, you touched on it, but um, uh, cough, you know, some people, particularly patients with asthma that have cough as a symptom, um, people often live with it and assume that it's just part of the background. Uh, and, and I think recognize that as, you know, this is, pro- this is probably my asthma and this requires attention as opposed to just sort of grumbling along living with it uh, is important because, um, you know, once that cough, for example, if it were to get worse or go unattended, um, you know, there, there are consequences, not only to, your, to one's health, but also, you know, the economics of asthma. People miss work, people miss school. And so, you know, um, that's uh, these, these, little, these little symptoms that uh, break some people. Um, it's important that there's education around that so that they can, they can manage it. And it can be managed. Yeah, the dreaded uh, cough variant asthma. So I, I saw, you know, like at least a dozen patients in the last uh, two weeks or so with uh, cough as the only presenting uh, symptom and uh, only com- presenting uh, sort of uh, manifestation of their asthma. So this is an entity and, you know, we see this more in very young children, of course, but in adults it happens too, the cough variant asthma, where people feel that it's, you know, chronic cough due to something else rather than asthma. But then you do the pulmonary function and methacholine, and they have the characteristic worsening nocturnally. And, you know, it sort of fits the puzzle and and the diagnosis of asthma. Um, Yeah, and actually, you know, along those lines, I mean, cough is obviously a a common symptom. Um, But there's variability in how people present, too. You know, I think you touched on cold exposure, but, you know, there's many patients that... um, you know, tell them that, oh my gosh, the door open in winter, you know, I feel this sudden urge where my chest gets tight. Um, and some people actually use a scarf to try and humidify the air as they're breathing in to help combat that. So there's recognition amongst particularly Canadians where they're exposed to harsh winters, but there's recognition of uh, of that cold induction and in, in inducing symptoms. And the variability from patient to patient is... is uh, is great. So it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, if you have the opportunity to, to meet with your doctor or your asthma educator, that you go over your symptoms so that uh, you can, you know, kind of harness it and control it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess one of the other, uh, you know, mi- misconceptions, I guess, is that people, uh, you know, if, if we think asthma is trivialized, uh, people think allergies is trivialized. Uh, when yeah. in fact, allergies is one of the, uh, you know, main triggers for asthma. And this is something that I, I see of obviously on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so trying to get patients to uh, first identify their allergens and trying to do whatever they can to avoid their allergens, I think, is uh, you know important in my role because people you know kind of associate allergies with only rhinitis and conjunctivitis symptoms. Those are the nose and eye symptoms, but often forget that uh, you know the the lungs are part of the continuum of whatever you breathe in. Yeah, and I, and actually, that's a very good point. I mean, you, obviously, you see that uh, in droves, and, and the reverse, I would say, is also true. You know, if you if your uh, healthcare provider is is managing your asthma, there should be uh, you know diligence and looking for associations with that, and of course, uh, you know, um, allergic rhinitis being one of them. And so, you know, uh, it, it requires a 
you know, uh, a sleuth to try and work backwards too, just so to speak, so just to make sure that you, you look for those associations and try and, you know, optimize the care for those so that your overall care is, is as best as it possibly could be. Yes. You know, someone uh, said it to me, I can't remember who, but they said the nose is part of the lung that you can just touch yeah. with your finger, right? So yeah, you know, that's right. It, it is on a continuum. We have this thing called unified airway theory. You know, roughly 94% of people with asthma have some form of rhinitis, whether it be allergic rhinitis, non-allergic. But there is uh, this rhinitis component that seems to be uh, very important. And, 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 you know, to prove the unified airway theory, people have done all sorts of, uh, you know, clinical trials where they even intubate patients and do a complete closed circuit, introduce like a known allergen in the nose to see uh, what the lungs do. And then sure enough, there is some kind of inflammation that occurs even when in a completely closed circuit. So, um, yeah, you know, maybe it is part of the uh, continuum. We knew that uh, even the GI tract with the esophagus is part of that continuum were uh, things like heartburn. And this would be, I guess, one of my other big misconceptions is that people seem to think that heartburn and GERD, like reflux symptoms, are separate and not uh, part of asthma. But often one can aggravate the other. And, you know, there's many theories on why this is, the shared innervation, the shared pathophysiology, the shared embryologic origin. So the two start off as one tube uh, when you're developing in the womb and separate out into two. So all of these things are kind of interconnected. And I guess we have this silo of medicine effect where every specialty just sees kind of their own organ or, or uh, whatnot um, and doesn't treat the holistic approach. Yeah, that, that fracturing is unfortunate and you're absolutely right. And, you know, the divisions that humans make in terms of understanding systems are only just to simplify and to make us understand. But these associations, you know, the nose uh, being part of the airways you've alluded to and and the complex interactions between our gut and our lungs and our heart. I mean, that's how the body works. We, we compartmentalize it so that we can understand, we can try to understand it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's far more complex than that. So, yeah. And, um, you know, we have a lot of new good treatments for asthma and a few like, you know, big paradigm shifts in, in the way we kind of think about uh, even the mild intermittent asthma, which is kind of no longer existent and it's just mild asthma. Um, right. What would you say is like uh, some of the biggest challenges that you face uh, in terms of treating on a day-to-day basis with your patients? Um, I think um, it's, there's lots of challenges. Um, uh, um, not to sound repetitive, but education uh, is king here. And so, um, when I see patients, I see them when they're sick, but I also fortunately see them when they're well too. And it's those times when they're well, where maybe their asthma or the recognition of it just kind of falls in the background. So it's, it's always a good opportunity to try and remind them, okay, well, remember these, you know, these are your, your triggers. Once again, if you start to see them, these, this is your action plan. And so, you know, educate, education, education, education is really important. I also think that um, another huge challenge, uh, as you know as well as I do, is adherence to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, I've, I've seen tons of stats, and I'm sure you've seen them too. You know, um, 50% of people um, may actually fill the prescription that you give them, and then another third of them may actually use 
use the medication once they've filled it, and then another half of them may actually use it correctly. So it's a real uphill battle to um, have individuals adhere to their therapy, but also, you know, use it correctly. And inhaler technique is 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 paramount here, and that's that's a huge challenge. And so, um, especially with you know the different uh, inhalers, meter dose inhalers, dry powdered inhalers, the use of an aero chamber, um, and that just the technique for using it too. Th- those are those are challenges that it's important to go over with your doctor or with your asthma educator. So yeah, there there's a lot of challenges, but again, you know those are, those individuals that are educated in their disease and are motivated, you know, that can be overcome, but, but it's not easy. Uh, for sure. It, almost like, um, you know, one of the things that I find challenging is that in primary care, um, and, and, you know, when I give uh, talks and lectures to patient, uh, patient groups and primary care physicians, they often underestimate the uh, negative adverse events that can occur with, uh, you know, even bursts of steroids. So, you know, this, yeah. we're talking about using prednisone, let's say at a dose of 50 milligrams, this is a corticosteroid that's used to treat an exa- exacerbation of asthma. Um, people underestimate the cumulative effects of doing that repeatedly uh, with the diabetes, glycemic control, uh, you know, the one in 10,000 hip fracture, which kind of, uh, you know, can occur even with one dose, but osteoporosis, right. uh, GI issues, uh, cataracts, glaucoma. All of these are kind of uh, risks inherent in steroids, but when you write the prescription of prednisone, it gets the patient out of the door or the walk-in clinic, and it's it's you know it, it, our our system unfortunately favors speed over uh, education. Um, so I do see a big role for asthma educators and uh, you know physicians who can uh, you know maybe spend more time. You know you and I both can spend a bit more time speaking with patients. Uh, not just because we're just nice guys, but we also get paid more than, than the average primary care doctor as well, right? To, and this is our job. Is our job is a, a big part of it is educating uh, on how to use things. And sometimes it, it is just so simple of just watching them use an inhaler and seeing that they've been doing it wrong for all these years to reduce their chance of exacerbation. Um, these are some of the practical challenges I think uh, people face and that we don't really capture in data sometimes as well. Yeah, I think you've really articulated it quite nicely. I, I think, you know, really, you know, taking the time to really go through asthma uh, would really circumvent a lot of the issues. But, every, oh, you know, everyone's overburdened with care and, and, and clinical responsibilities. That time becomes less and less prioritized. And, and you're right, having a patient, I mean, I've learned tons when I've seen patients user inhalers in front of me. And, and actually, you know, some, many patients have developed kind of neat little tricks to either remember to, to take them or remember how to take them that I would never have thought of. And so um, it's just taking the time, but that's a really hard thing. I mean, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. And so uh, you're right. Our system is, is not set up to take that time, unfortunately. Yeah. And so Fragmentation occurs. It is unfortunate because, you know, watching someone take an inhaler, for example, it really is like a one minute intervention, like less than a minute. Oh, yeah. But sometimes it saves so so much grief uh, over time. Um, You know, I don't think we have time time to go into biologics uh, right now. But one one thing I will say is that the number of times I get referred a patient to assess 
whether or not they need a biologic because they've had, you know, two or three exacerbations a year. And if I can count the number of times they're actually, you know, in dire straits because they're just not either taking their inhaler or taking it entirely wrong, it's just literally about 90% of my severe asthma consults can be saved by oh, yeah, better compliance or just, you know, watching the technique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that's been, that's been shown in the literature, uh, uh, many times that, you know, lack of adherence can, can really overcome a lot of the higher exacerbations rates we see in other studies. But yeah, it's really, uh, it's been very humbling when I've, when I've watched patients take their inhalers because I, I sometimes feel like, boy, I'm learning just as much as they are in a completely different way. So yeah, you know, taking that time is, is, is paramount, but it's, it's really hard. I think we're getting better at it though. You know, I've seen some interesting work where, um, you know, researchers are leveraging technology, for example, uh, you know, web-based interfaces to observe their patients, you know, in their home on a, on an iPad or something. And so, you know, we're, you know, there are innovative ways of doing this. It's just that our system isn't there yet. Yeah. Sometimes those innovative ways are like, you know, get you a 70% compliance rate at best though. Like the frequent yeah. reminders over iPad video, uh, video call reminders. Um, so, you know, even with these, it seems like we almost need like a more simpler uh, and, and maybe safer uh, delivery of uh, medications to control asthma. Uh, as you know, we touched on it briefly when I came over to Niagara Falls as uh, Fevi, uh, an oral agent or a CRTH2 yes. uh, agent for for um, control of asthma, these things may make it easier because it is much easier to remember to take a pill um, as part of your normal pill routine if you're on other medications almost. Um, so yeah, um, anyhow, Neil, that was and a pleasure. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, I'll, I'll let you finish. No, sorry, I just wanted a yeah. quick little, no, no, that's okay, I didn't mean to interrupt there, Jason, but uh, and unfortunately, you know, we're kind of a product of our own success in that there's been an explosion of different inhalers and therapeutics and the the method of taking them varies so much that it just creates even more confusion for patients. So there's like different inhaler devices out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like you said, simplicity, if we can just get back down to, you know, first principles and keep it simple, that that would be best. It's hard to do it in this environment. Yeah. All right, uh, Neil. Um, so I'm going to cut us off both. Uh, so I can, you know, maybe finish my laundry. I'm, I'm podcasting from the glamorous, uh, glamorous <laughs> yeah, basement bathroom here to get away from the nose, or so the noise, uh, so the glamorous lifestyle of a medical specialist. <laughs> I see you've been walking around <laughs> in the here too. I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm no different than you are. So I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing my laundry too. So, but this has been great, and uh, thanks for having me on, Jason. And I, yeah. I hope uh, your audience uh, gets something out of this uh, yeah. session. That was great. Hope to see you again in person. Cheers. Yeah, take care.